This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from Bethlehem South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.church forward slash location forward slash south dash campus. I, I got you there, didn't I, Dave? Did. I thought we were supposed to say our names first. No. You know, I was listening to the Nine Marks podcast recently. I was like, ours sounds too much like that. Mm. So I figured I'd introduce a little chaos, a little discontinuity. Take, take that, Mark Dever. Take that, Mark Dever. <laughs> a little more discontinuity here. Uh, maybe we'll mix it up in weeks uh, come. Nick Rowan is here with us today. Welcome, Nick. Hi, guys. Nick, what's your best fishing story? Oh, boy. And no, you don't have 20 minutes. You've got like two. Go. Uh, well, I mean, there's, I'd have to think about that for a while to actually find the best one. But the one that comes to mind immediately was last summer when I caught my 42 and a half inch muskie mm. up in Canada. Mm. It was the biggest fish I've ever caught. Oh, Canada. Yep. Do you eat it? No. You don't eat muskies? No, you do not Throw eat muskie. That is a cardinal sin of fishing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Why is it a cardinal sin of fishing? You put muskies back. Just to do. Live to fight another day. But why? Are they not yummy? Are they disgusting? No, they, they taste like northern. Oh. Probably. I've never eaten one. Okay. Why is it a cardinal sin of fishing? Because they're Did you, did they're you know so it was a cardinal sin of fishing? I don't know that much about fishing. Do you believe in cardinal sins? Are you, are you Roman Catholic? Uh, no. Okay, all right, all right. Musky, everyone. Well, today we're together with Nick and with the last podcast we were talking with Chris Bruno about biblical theology, tracing biblical themes throughout the whole of the Bible. And today's podcast and the podcast that will be released later this week are both on the covenants, tracing... Uh, the biblical theme of covenant throughout the Bible. And we, uh, Nick and I were talking, and it's something that he is passionate about. So Nick, since you're the passionate one here about covenant, I'm going to ask you the question, what is a covenant? <clears throat> a covenant, there's a lot of different ways that you can define it, but basically it's a, when you're talking about a biblical covenant, um, it's a agreement or relationship between God's people and God and God's presence, um, and then in a place. So you always have uh, when you talk about the uh, biblical covenants. There's a, like a covenantal triangle. You have God's presence with God's people in God's place, and how God's people are to function in fellowship with Him, enjoying His presence in the place that He's provided. That's the basics of what I'd say. Presence, place people. Some people have talked about covenants as unconditional and conditional. People talk about, oh, certain covenants have no conditions upon them. Mm -hmm. God fulfills them all. Other covenants have some conditions upon them. Um, Is that a helpful distinction, do you think? Um, I think that there are aspects of uh, pretty much I guess I'd have to think about it, but each covenant has unconditional aspects and conditional aspects. Um, So I don't think that you can say this one is completely unconditional and this one is completely conditional. I think that there are uh, elements of both. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to make that hard, that hard separation like that. So when we talk about tracing the biblical covenants, do all Christians at all times everywhere agree how the covenants relate to each other? 
That would be a no, Daniel. Be they, a no. they do not <laughs> they agree. Don't. They don't. <laughs> so if we were to talk about a spectrum, Nick, and this isn't a video podcast, it's a audio podcast, but all the way on, you know, so if you're listening to this podcast, just hold up your left hand unless you're driving. I mean, don't do that. Don't take your hands off the wheel. Keep driving. But on the left side would be something like uh, maybe lots of continuity mm-hmm. in the way that we see the covenants relate to each other from Old Testament to New Testament. Right. What would be like an extreme form of a view that would say lots and lots, maybe even just about complete continuity? Sure. So uh, I think something like a, a theonomy view or... Theonomy? The- yeah. What, what, what's theonomy? <laughs> well, Daniel, since you asked... Uh, Is that like it, the enemy? Well, the enemy? Mm, theonomy? Maybe. No, okay. it's not. Um, but that, they would see such a degree of uh, continuity between the covenants that they would be trying to enact and uh, hold as binding all the Old Testament laws sure. for today. Right. And it, just because it's complete continuity, and so nothing's really changed. Yep, yep. Yeah, so um, Old Testament Israel is the ideal right. state. Mm-hmm. And any state today, any government mm-hmm. today, should work towards that ideal. So then those laws should be like America's laws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that would be the Okay, so if on your left side you've got lots and lots of continuity, what would be an example on the right side of lots and mm-hmm. lots of discontinuity? We don't. We don't see the covenants as as closely interrelated. Right. So then on the right side, you'd have uh, extreme classical, classic dispensationalism, um, which would say that there is a lot of discontinuity, so much so um, that Israel and the church are completely different and they don't meet at all. And there's two plans of God for these two peoples of God. And, and therefore, everything that was promised to Israel literally as a nation, as an ethnic people, um, still needs to be fulfilled as a nation, as an ethnic people today. And they divide history into kind of seven dispensations yep. where um, it works this way here and then it doesn't work that way here. And there's very little continuity at all yeah, between yeah. these different... Some older forms yeah. of... Dispensationalism would even say like there's different ways that one gets saved right. throughout the dispensations. Most mm-hmm. most dispensationalists uh, today don't think that at all, but certainly older dispensationalists did explicitly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Dave, um, how are you feeling, Dave? Great. Great. Good. Just checking in. I saw a yawn over there in the corner. Nick was talking a lot. Uh, okay, that's what it he was. was asking me the questions. <laughs> so, Dave, what are some examples? And you don't need to go into great detail here, but some examples of in between. So, if on one end you have like theonomy, we believe that government is bound by Old Testament law, and on the other end we have lots and lots of discontinuity. We believe that there are multiple peoples of God. God works with different people groups in different ways throughout history. Uh, including different ways that they get saved. What are some in-between examples? Yeah, so the most, maybe the most common uh, place where we see still a lot of continuity, but is is pretty widely held to be what's called covenant theology, where there's, uh, they, they recognize these different covenants, these different ways that God's relating to his people, but they, they really see an overarching covenant with God and his people. So they see way more continuity than they yeah. see discontinuity. 
uh, although they wouldn't, they wouldn't say that we should still be keeping all the Old Testament laws. Uh, if you were to go, to go to the other side, um, you know, there's something called progressive dispensationalism, which is different than classic dispensationalism in that it sees more continuity between, uh, but both in the way God is working uh, with his people and in the, the people of Israel and the church kind of coming together as one in this present age, uh, yep, in, the, yep. in this time after Christ has come and, and died. And then there's a, a newer, um, really a newer way that's trying to kind of uh, thread the needle, you would say, between covenant theology and progressive dispensationalism, which is, is being called progressive covenantalism. And actually, uh, you know, Jason DeRoshi, who is a former BCS professor, and uh, Jason Meyer, have both written a chapter in a book with that title, Progressive Covenantalism, which tries to uh, see a, a revealing, uh, a progressive revelation in the scriptures that kind of find its culmination in Christ, and then everything after that kind of flows out of that culmination yep. of Christ. So they yep. really see Christ as the hinge on which the Bible yep, yep. turns. Yep, yep. Yeah, and so you look at covenant theology, you know, seeing more continuity as expressed in like, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Yep. So lots of Presbyterians, yep. um, those in uh, the PCA churches, OPC churches, would hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's then its Baptist version, the Second London Baptist Confession. Yep. So here there are Baptists too that believe in believers' baptism, etc. But yet they also see lots of continuity yep. in this way. And now you have um, some that have come along. So you get like progressive dispensationalists, which progressive dispensationalists probably seeing more um, discontinuity, but still plenty of continuity. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, the two Jasons, uh, both our, uh, our pro- professors, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, they, they're trying to thread the needle in between. Well, for our purposes today, we want to go and check out the Word of God and just see, hey, what can we discern exegetically, actually, in these passages and in these covenants that we see in, I think, today, the Old Testament, and then in our next podcast, we'll talk more about the covenant, the one covenant we see in the New Testament. So, Nick, what are some of the covenants in the Old Testament? Like starting starting near the beginning, moving towards the end? Starting near the beginning. Yeah, starting near the beginning. I'm near the beginning? Start right at the beginning. Okay. Um, in the, the beginning was the covenant. Was the, oh. was the covenant with Adam. Okay. And uh, there isn't explicit that the word covenant isn't explicitly, you know, there like it is in other places. But we see the covenantal triangle of God's people, namely Adam, who's the the head of all mankind, uh, given a place in the Garden of Eden to enjoy God's presence uh, with God as the king who's ruling and reigning. And um, Adam's mandate was to be a faithful son of God, enjoying his presence and flourishing in the place that God has given him. So most people talk about that as the covenant with creation or the the Adamic covenant. And so that's kind of where it starts. Yeah, what were the commands given to Adam there in the garden? Yeah, so it was to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. Yep. Um, and so, not eat from that tree. And it, don't oh, eat from that tree you. over there. So don't touch it. Yeah. And then also in there, interestingly, to tend, yeah, or I think guard mm-hmm. and keep the garden, mm-hmm. which I think is significant as we go down the covenants later. Right. So yep. here's commands, 
talk about conditionality, unconditionality, mm-hmm. um, and a covenant triangle. Mm-hmm. So then you've got that covenant with creation or the Adamic covenant, and then uh, Noah comes on the scene and God cuts a covenant with him um, as kind of the new representative head, um, but this time with sin uh, in view. And so God kind of re-ups his, his covenant with creation, vowing now with Noah um, to never bring a flood again and to kind of reaffirm that, that humans will continue to be his image bearers on earth and there will be this continued relationship yeah. um, together. What commands are given to Noah um, that are similar to what's given to Adam? Well, similar commands of faithfulness, how to live in the world, and yeah, yeah. Um, what I, what do you have? Yeah, I think I think it explicitly says fill the yeah, earth fill the and earth. subdue yep. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, a uh, uh, as you were a re-upping of that original. Yep. This is the intent for humanity mm-hmm. to act as a regent over God's world, still even in the presence of sin, mm-hmm. even after um, that's taken place. So, and I think I think it's significant that we see a. We see a sacrifice here because sin's here now. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's why you don't see one in the covenant of creation because there's no sin yet. Right. Now, yeah, yeah. this covenant with Noah, we get this <clears throat> cutting a covenant, which is because we're cutting stuff up yeah. for a sacrifice. Yeah, and depending on how you read Genesis 3, which is the big right. you know, thing that happens in between the Adamic and the Noahic covenant, right. um, you know, God takes and he covers Adam and Eve with animal skins. Well, where did those come from? It's not explicit in the text. I mean, certainly God could create, you know, animal skins out of nothing. I think it's a pretty strong inference that he kills Mm -hmm. to cover them. Mm -hmm. He kills to cover their sin. And then in the midst of that is the very great and wonderful promise. I will set enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Mm -hmm. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, mm-hmm. which is uh, something that Christians have long looked towards and is a big deal when we think about the covenants mm-hmm. and carrying on from Adam <clears throat> into Noah and then beyond. So talk to, talk to me a little bit, Nick, about what that Genesis 3.15 um, <laughs> reference, that there's going to be a seed of the woman that will smash the head of the snake. Yeah. Does that, does that set up some kind of expectation then? It does. It sets up this expectation of that seed. Who's it going to be? When's he going to come? When's he going to set things right? Who's going to smash the, the head of the serpent and um, the works of Satan? And, and so that kind of sets up this expectation with every new covenant. Is it him? Is it this? Is it this time? Is it here? Um, and so you get to Noah and... He's supposed to be, you know, the, the faithful son who uh, obeys God's commands and uh, lives in this covenant relationship, and yet we see him disobey. And he's not perfect, and so we say, oh, he's not the one. Yep. He, the, the seed is yet to come. Yep. And, but we see now that through uh, Noah and his family, now that's the new uh, place, I guess, that through whom the seed will will come and show up. And so it points us forward again. We're looking forward to future fulfillment. And... Yeah, yeah. A couple big texts that I think are important between Genesis 3 and Genesis 9 and 10 um, are uh, just right at the beginning of Genesis 4 
when Eve gives birth. What does she say after she gives birth to Cain? I've gotten a man Mm -hmm. from the Lord. It's pointing backwards, an offspring. And then even you go forward to like Genesis chapter 5, right near the end there. I think it's Genesis 5, 29. Lamech had lived 182 years. He fathered a son. And then chapter 5, verse 29. He called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. There's this baked in expectation. Who's going to come? Who's going to come? Who's going to crush this head? Both all very important for understanding how these fit together. Yeah. So, so the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, anything else you'd say about the Noahic covenant? Um, no, not really. Just that it's it's still pointing forward yeah, to good. the future. So keep walking through the covenants with us. <clears throat> so then Abraham comes on the scene. Yeah. And uh, then we have a, an Abrahamic covenant in, in Genesis 15 and uh, expounded on in Genesis 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the covenant with Abraham, God calls and promises a, 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 a people, mm-hmm. a nation. And so now God is promising to fulfill all of these promises that have been made to humanity through Abraham and his offspring. Right. And so through Abraham and his seed, right. then salvation will ultimately come and God will keep and fulfill his promises. Um, And so so the Abrahamic covenant kind of becomes about God's means to keep his promises to all of humanity through a nation meant to bless the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go from this land and from your place to a land that I will give you and I will will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and in you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed mm-hmm. like that that kind of like i'm gonna take you to a place i'm gonna be your god my mm-hmm. presence will be with you i'm gonna make of you a great nation of people mm-hmm. with that triangle established not that it would just then be like hey it's just us but you will be a blessing to the nation right mm-hmm. from that point on yeah it's good so abraham has kind of the beginning yeah. in some ways yep. of god restoring <clears throat> Uh, his creation. Mm-hmm. What else do you say about Abraham and covenant? Well, and so then, I mean, then again, we have Abraham who kind of becomes the new son in relationship with God. And um, and so, again, you're thinking, is this the one? Yeah. And then he is imperfect and yeah. he disobeys and falls. And so it continues to point forward. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole idea is the covenants as progressing mm-hmm. towards something, towards a future fulfillment and um, end. Yeah. And so yeah. it keeps pushing us forward. So yeah. now we have, you know, this promise of a nation and a people, and yet Abraham's still not the, he's not the final seed. Yeah, that's good. So Abraham, um, his people uh, are saved from famine at the end of Genesis, and they go down to Egypt. Mm-hmm. And then what happens in <clears throat> Egypt heading towards our next yep. covenant? And then... Um, they become enslaved and are in slavery through, you know, Joseph and uh, his rise to power in, in Egypt. And then they get all involved there and then they become enslaved. And then there is um, Moses who comes and through him, God frees his people and promises that they are going to go now into the promised land. Yep. So we have this land that was promised to Abraham and his people. And now let's go. Let's go and get there. And then um, when we get to Sinai, Mount Sinai, then there's the Old Covenant or the, the Mosaic Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
That is through Moses for his people, for God's people, the people of Israel, um, which points forward um, to a larger end even than itself. So the Old Covenant is how should God's people in this place, what are the laws? How should they function um, in relationship with God? And its purpose among many is to identify and intensify sin and the consequences Mm -hmm. and to say this is how you should live and this is what happens, the curses, when you don't follow God's ways. But it doesn't have the power to save and to create what it commands. Yeah, it's really interesting to read the narratives in Exodus and discover the consequences for Israel prior to them formally constituting and saying, we've promised, we vow that we will do all the Lord our God has told us mm-hmm. to do. Um, the consequences beforehand are relatively minimal, right? So there's just there's some things that take place, but they're not... They're not extreme Moses prays or people do things and um, the Lord passes over again. Mm-hmm. And yet right after the vows are made, people um, you know, doing all kinds of uh, I mean, increasingly horrible things, even through the wilderness and other things that God says ultimately, that entire generation will, will die as a mm-hmm. consequence under this old covenant meant to, as you said, identify and intensify Right, um, sin and, con- and its consequences, mm-hmm. baking in an expectation. Correct for something else has to come. Yep, because the sacrifices in and of themselves didn't have the power to create what they commanded. Right, you know, and so they, they were pointing forward to all of this, all of this blood. Yeah. You know that you see in these sacrifices. It was bloody and horrible and violent, mm-hmm. pointing forward to a greater sacrifice. Right. Right. Um, so then as we uh, continue on for, well anything else you'd say about the Mosaic Covenant here Nick I guess it's important I, I mean just as we talk about all of these covenants there's I mean how much do you want to talk about typology oh typology that's a big deal <clears throat> patterns yeah patterns so, that we see in scriptures yeah and so you see these uh, these themes that are um, seated uh, in these early covenants like even in the covenant of creation you know, you have this theme of the temple or the, the place of God. Um, and then that gets uh, expanded and fulfilled as you go through, you know, the biblical storyline. And so, and you just see so many of those even here in the Old, the old Covenant, like the priesthood um, and the sacrificial system, what is a sacrifice. And so there are all of these themes that get planted um, and they're pointing forward to a... You've got a type and then an antitype or the fulfillment, the thing that it's pointing towards. Yeah. And so all along you have these things that are being seen, but they're not about the thing itself ultimately. Yeah. Like the sacrifices, they're pointing to something else. Right. So when people say typology, it's all kinds of different things they might mean. What we mean when we're talking about it here is like yep. a pattern. Yep. A prototype, a first instance in a pattern, mm-hmm. and an antitype last instance in a pattern mm-hmm. and then in between are types yep more instances of pattern so you keep mentioning it like son like there's yes adam is a son noah mm-hmm. is a son abraham is a son moses is a son kind of a, israel. a head yeah, yeah israel, israel is a son, people of right? israel yep. people of israel you know all of these mentioned in different ways as being sons of of god regents <laughs> under god so here they are types patterns etc that reach 
fulfillments eventually. Right. Yeah. Read, read the book of Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. Read the book of Hebrews. Lots of types yep. and uh, patterns there that we see. Um, so there's probably one other major Old Testament covenant mm-hmm. that's worth mentioning here, and that's the Davidic covenant. Yep. What would you say about the Davidic covenant? Yeah, the Davidic covenant, so, I mean, all, all of these covenants are named after their covenantal representative. Right, right. So you get to David, and he becomes God's chosen king um, to rule over the people of Israel. And what we see is God promises to establish David's house and the throne of David forever. Right. And so it's a, it's a promise that um, we get the kingship promise here. The throne um, of David will be everlasting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so that, that's established. But then, I mean, like all the other covenants, you know, David falls. Yeah. And he's disobedient. And his sons, the ones that come after him in the lines of the kings, yeah. they fall and there is no perfect king. Yeah. And so what is to become of this everlasting throne this house of david this davidic seat yep yep um and it's pointing to a future and fulfilled reign somewhere else yep yep wow (laughs) i just you're like holding back your neck i know yeah baking in the expectation for the next podcast so it's good so the adamic covenant noahic covenant the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant the old Mm -hmm. covenant and then the davidic covenant all give for us different patterns that then we start looking forward to. And in between that, there's kind of the explicit thing that we're looking for is some covenant son that will crush the head of the snake Mm -hmm. and will give us relief from the toil of the ground. Um, And that's yet to come in a further covenant that Mm -hmm. the next podcast is about. Right. David, David. 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 David, anything to say about your covenant? Anything to say about your covenant, David? <laughs> uh, anything you'd want to add here, Dave? Uh, the only other thing I'd add is just that one helpful way to trace the covenants is just the genealogies uh, through the through the Old Testament. So even like uh, Genesis 49, where we see uh, highlighted the tribe of Judah. Yeah. And then that gets highlighted kind of over and over again throughout prophetic prophetic literature and then in the new testament again the new testament starts with a genealogy right and so so in in all of these different patterns and themes god is working with the people yeah and yeah. he's it's traced out for us yeah. to show us that it's real yeah exactly in history yeah even just like the the random uh it's seemingly random i think it's in genesis 38 or 39 where here's this all this data about joseph full stop Let's talk about Judah for a chapter. Mm-hmm. And then the focus on Judah at the end of Genesis as he's interacting with Joseph. He doesn't know that Joseph is his brother. Why? Well, it seems to culminate in a moment where Judah is like, I will stand in the place of my brother Benjamin, and I will take his place mm-hmm. so that no punishment will go upon my, in, my, my brother. Yep. And that's like the moment that Joseph takes the blinders off mm-hmm. and you see what's actually happening. And then all the other lists of the sons of Israel prior to um, the big list in, in Genesis 49 have Judah just kind of mixed in there. And then Judah is featured prominently and has more said about him than anybody else at the end. Why? Because I think we're supposed to have an expectation baked in, looking forward in all of these narratives towards something greater coming from Judah. Amen. Yeah. All right, brothers. Whoa, the 
next one's coming. We've set up some drama here. Yeah, <laughs> set up some drama here. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in today.